Good morning. The scripture this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, it could be argued, and I think it should be argued, that the most popular um, president in the history of the United States was George Washington. He was not only the first president of the United States, but he was also the most beloved. George Washington is the only president elected as an independent in the history of this country. But even more impressive than that, George Washington is the only president who was unanimously elected. And when Washington was president, his voice was the most powerful, the most prominent, and the most respected voice in all of this young country. When he died, his eulogy read, first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen. I like to think of the Apostle Peter like George Washington. There was no more universally respected or admired voice in the early church than the Apostle Peter. Like Washington, you could say that Simon Peter was first among the apostles, first in the plan of Christ, and first in the heart of the church. I know people make much of the Apostle Paul, but beloved, there was not a more universally admired and listened to voice in the early church than was that of the Apostle Peter. What Peter said mattered. What Peter did mattered. And thus, what he wrote needs to continue, beloved, to matter. And as we come to the end of 2 Peter, we are reminded of just how important Peter's voice was to the early church and how crucial were his words to the church then and how crucial his words remain to the church now. As our beloved brother Peter closed and ended his correspondence with the early church, he did so with an affectionate heart. He did so with a critical appeal. He wrote, he wrote to pilgrims as a pilgrim. 
For he knew, he understood that he was not long for the world. He knew that his days on the earth were coming to an end, and yet he wanted to be faithful. And even more than that, as his life drew to an end, he wanted to make sure that he saw a church that was faithful, a church that was continuing to believe. In fact, this is the purpose of his writing. It's very clear that he wrote to the church in huge part, in huge part because he believed that his days on earth were short. They're coming to an end, right? In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, he says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. And as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you will be able at any time to recall these things. Do you hear the urgency in his words? Imagine the, the compassion and the conviction in his voice. He wrote to those beloved of God. He wrote to those whom he beloved. And in that sense, beloved, it's important to know that he writes to us. The beloved community this morning. He says at the end what he said at the beginning. Keep the faith. Don't stop believing. Keeping the faith is his message. And Peter understood that he was getting older. And he understood that that first generation of disciples was passing away. And they were passing away without the apparent return of Christ. And though they all had lived in anticipation that Christ would come while they had yet lived. But as the days passed, and that first generation of disciples were departing this earth, and the Lord had not yet come, there began to be more and more and more attacks upon the promises of Christ and upon the word of the apostles. For you got to understand something, beloved, that, that first generation, when, when Jesus tells them, just as I go, you're going to see me return, the anticipation of the return of Jesus was high. And his delay was causing some to doubt and causing those to doubt and therefore to put doubt in the minds of others. Some were mocking the promises of Jesus. Some were developing teachings to even contradict the apostles. And too many, too many, 
we're being sympathetic and giving an ear to these scoffers and mockers. Now, it's important to understand, and I think Peter would have reiterated this to them as well, that no one wanted Jesus to return more than Peter did. No one loved Jesus any more than Peter did. No one knew Jesus better than Peter knew him. No one spent more time with Jesus than Peter. No one spoke more often with Jesus than Peter. No one loved the Lord any more than Peter. And thus, no one, no one longed for the return of Christ more than the apostle Peter did. And yet, Peter wanted the church to know what he knew in his heart, that just because the Lord had not returned does not mean that he wouldn't return. The promises of Jesus had never failed before. They would not fail now. And so he wanted to tell these Christians with his final words to them, wait, wait eagerly upon the revelation of Jesus Christ. Long, long for his return. Pray that the Lord would come, that he would come quickly. But until he does, or as our text says, as you wait on him, I want you to do three things. As we're waiting on the Lord this morning, beloved, the apostle Peter wants to press upon our hearts three imperatives. There are actually more imperatives than three, but I thought you might want to get out of here before two or three this afternoon. There are three imperatives that I want to highlight that Peter impresses upon the church and impresses upon us this morning as we wait upon Jesus. He says, as you wait upon these things, be diligent. Beware. And be growing. Be diligent. Beware and be growing. Be diligent. Peter reminds us that while we are people who are called to be waiting on the Lord, yes, yes, we wait on the Lord. However, it is not a passive waiting, beloved. It is an active waiting. We are diligently, eagerly, and actively waiting upon the return of Jesus. As you wait upon these things, Peter says, what things? The revelation of Jesus Christ, the full revealing of his glory and majesty, the judgment that is to come, the renewing and the restoration of all things, the new heavens and the new earth. But as you wait on these things, Peter says, be diligent or make every effort as he has said previously in chapter 1 and verse 5 and in chapter 1 and verse 10, just as you are active in adding 
Just if you're active in developing your faith, be active as you anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as you wait on Jesus. Now, no one likes to wait, beloved. No one likes to wait. Waiting tends to make us complacent. Waiting tends to distract us. Waiting tends to cause us to sleep. We don't like to wait in traffic. We don't like to wait in the grocery line. We don't like to wait for our computers to boot up. We don't like to wait. And oftentimes when we often get distracted, don't we? That's why they have all those little things in the grocery line. You didn't come to to the grocery store to pick up anything that they got in the aisle, but they know if you wait long enough, you're going to get distracted. Because that's what waiting tends to do. And how often have you been waiting on somebody and suddenly you just fell asleep? That's what happened to the apostles, isn't it? When Jesus asked his apostles to wait on him while he prayed, what did they do in Matthew chapter, six and, chapter 26 and verse 40? The Bible says that they fell asleep. We don't like to wait. We get complacent. We get distracted. We fall asleep. But when the Lord tells us to wait on him, waiting on Christ is an active waiting. Waiting on Christ is a determined effort at staying awake. So he says, be diligent. In other words, don't just sit there. Do something. Be busy. Laboring faithfully for the Lord as you long and wait for his return. Like the parable of the talents, right? In Matthew chapter 24. Each of the servants that received talents, beloved, each of the servants knew the master was going to return. There was not a debate as to whether or not the master was going to return. All of them knew he was coming again. All of them were waiting on his return. All of them was anticipating his coming but only the ones who were active were the ones who received the rewards. They didn't fall asleep. They didn't get distracted. They didn't get complacent. They were waiting, and they were working. Because waiting, biblically speaking, is working with anticipation, right? Yes, 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 yes. I know the Lord is coming, but I want to be found faithful when he comes. I want to be busy in myself when I see him. One evening after dinner, I went outside to cut the grass. And my wife came outside, and she looked up at the sky, and she wondered, why would you be cutting the grass? She looked up and she said, because it's about to rain. Why cut the grass in the rain? That's a good question, beloved. Okay? Don't think that I ignored that question. That is a good question. 
Yes, yes, beloved, it was going to rain. Yes, I anticipated raining real soon, but it hadn't rained yet. And as long as it hadn't started raining, I was going to keep cutting. Beloved, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And yes, he is coming very soon. He may come today, but until he does, you and me, we have to keep teaching. We have to keep preaching. We have to keep living. We have to keep giving. We got to keep serving. We have to keep believing. Isn't that what Jesus said? John chapter 9, verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent us while it is day. For night is coming when no one can work. But until then, Peter says, be diligent. Keep working, keep working. And what is that work, beloved? He says in verse 14, that work is to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. In other words, to be found spotless and to be found blameless and to be found at peace is to be found in faith. To be found in Christ. When he shall come, the songwriter says, right, with a trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, spotless, and blameless to stand before the throne. When he comes, be found in him. Make sure you're in Christ. That is the only way, beloved. That is the only way that you're going to be found spotless and blameless is if you are in Christ because this is who Christ is. Christ is, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, right? Christ is the precious lamb of God without spot or blemish. He is the spotless and blameless one. But not only is this who Christ is, spotless and blameless is what Jesus is making the church, right? That's why you have to be in him. That's why you must be, be found in his beloved, the called out ones, the church. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, spotless and blameless is what he is doing in the church. He is washing her with the word and ironing out every wrinkle so on that day she would be perfect. You're going to be found spotless. You're going to be found blameless. You're going to be found without blemish. You need to be found in Christ. You need to be found in the church. Spotless and blemish and without blemish and blameless is what Jesus promises to keep us and to present us in his glory for all eternity. In Jude 124, He's able to do that, to keep you from stumbling, beloved, to keep you from falling. So then that final day, all in him will be presented before glory in all eternity without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing, but she 
her, his church, his beloved community will be holy. Make every effort, he says. Be diligent while you wait on him to be found perfect in Christ. The idea is to be what we are in Christ. Perfect. Perfect. And therefore, there is a perfection that should be the direction of our lives. That's where we're moving. Beloved, and it needs to be an active moving. We are seeking to be perfect in faith, perfect in hope, perfect in love. Now, do we ever attain it in this life? Obviously, the answer to that question is no. Do you know what the Apostle Paul says? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. I am not, but I press on. I press on to make it my own because Jesus, Christ Jesus has made me his own. As you press on, as you are seeking that perfection as the direction of your life, will you make mistakes? Yes. Press on. Will you fail and fall? Yes, but press on. Will the way get hard and the enemy seem strong? Yes, but press on. As Paul says again in Philippians chapter 3, again in verse 13, because brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. Forgetting about yesterday. Forgetting my failures of yesterday. Forgetting I press on. Press on toward the goal to win the prize, which is God has called me heavenwardly in Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns... What he wants is a church that is pressing on. The perfection is his. The pressing is ours. Press on, beloved. Don't stop believing. Don't let your own failures undermine your faith. You press on. Don't allow yesterday to cloud your trust in Christ today. You press on. Be diligent. Make every effort to be found in Jesus. As you wait on these things, be diligent. And then he says, as you wait on these things, beware. In verse 17, therefore, beloved dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. 
You know, it is easy, beloved. It is easy. It is easy to get, tri- to, to get tripped up. It is easy to get your mind on so many of life's distractions, particularly today, and lose your focus on the main thing, Jesus. Jesus. Don't be on guard, he says. Watch out. Watch out that you are not carried away in the spirit of the age. There are spiritual tricksters. There are soul and mind kidnappers. And they will multiply, the Bible says, in these final days, particularly right at the return of Christ. And as KB would say, when the game's about to end, you expect fouls. You should. That's what these scoffers and these mockers did. They were insistent. They were insistent. Beloved, they were loud. They were proud. They were boastful. They stand on the street corner yelling and handing out their propaganda, claiming to be woke, and you're the ones who sleep. And Peter says, don't sleep on them. Just because Jesus hasn't come doesn't mean he's not coming. Remember, remember a few things. Remember, first of all, that God is patient. And patience, as it says in verse 15, is what? Patience is salvation. Patience is salvation. The, the patience of God is not a problem. The patience of God is a blessing. It was a blessing for Peter. He understood this. He understood that the only reason that he was in Christ is because Christ was patient with him again and again. And when Jesus predicted Peter's fall into sin and unbelief, you know, Jesus didn't condemn Peter, but instead the Bible says in Luke 22 and verse 32, Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you. Let your strength not fail. But you don't stop believing. And once you are restored, I need you to preach the same. Patience. Patience. It was a blessing for Peter. It was a blessing for Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, as Paul is recounting his conversion and redemption and salvation story. He's reminded and calls himself the worst of sinners. He's reminded how disobedient, insolent, and even blasphemous he was against the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he says something very important in verse 16 of chapter 1 in 1 Timothy. But God had mercy on me, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of what? His great patience with even the worst of sinners. 
then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Beloved, I don't know about you, but the patience of God has been a blessing in my life. In fact, I would say to you, had not the Lord been patient, I would not be saved. Dare I say I am confident that had he not been patient with you, you would not be saved this morning. Had not the Lord been, ta- been patient, no one, no one, beloved, no one would be saved. And like Paul said, the only reason I'm saved is because the Lord is patient. And not only me, but that is the example of salvation for all who believe. The Lord was slow to anger. He was slow to judge. He's quick to forgive. He's patient. And we're saved. But unfortunately, the Bible says that these scoffers distort the teachings of the Bible. They distort this idea of the patience of God that leads to salvation. They distort this idea of the goodness of God that leads to repentance. They distort the teachings of the apostles, even the teachings of the apostle Paul, Peter said. It's one thing Peter says to distort my teachings. It's another thing to be taken on Paul. And they even distort the Apostle Paul. I was reminded of this again this week, how this distortion after often happens as I was speaking with our brother Marius Mitchell, and we were discussing again his recent book against the black Hebrew Israelites called Re-Enslaved, right? Now, a lot of you probably didn't even know Myers wrote a book. He did. You ought to get it. It's called Re-Enslaved. It reminded, reminded that these mockers and these scoffers, they don't usually come up with their own scriptures. But like Peter said, they take the Holy Scriptures and they distort them. They take the Holy Scriptures and they misuse them. And Peter, therefore, calls them erroneous. He calls them lawless. He calls them erroneous. He calls them lawless because their error is rather than believing and trusting in Jesus, they believe, trust, and have confidence in themselves to understand the truth. However, They claim to follow the truth only as that truth fits them and falls in line with their own views on religion, their own views on race, their own views on ethnicity, their own views on sexuality, their own way of living and their lifestyle. They think they know the Lord. And yet the Bible says, even Jesus himself says, that when he comes, they they will cry out, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says in Matthew 7 and 23, that he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of what? Lawlessness. Law. And these scoffers and these false teachers, you know what they do? 
This is the point. This is the point of the enemy. They create instability. This is what the enemy wants. This is what the enemy always wants. He wants to create doubt and instability. He wants to unstable you in your faith. He wants to unstable you in your hope. He wants to unstable you in your commitment. That's why they yell. They didn't get you off kilter. Because they want to create instability in your mind. I want to create instability in your conviction. And how do you combat this? How do you overcome the temptation to wander from the faith? All of us, all of us, beloved, I'm, I'm, dare I say, all of us have friends and we have family members who believe they have come up with some new truth about God on what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat, on what you should wear and what you shouldn't wear on where you should worship, where you shouldn't worship, and how you should live and how you shouldn't live. How, how do you combat? How do you keep yourself from wandering into that instability? Well, Peter says, which is our last imperative, then you got to be growing. You have to be diligent, beware, But, beloved, you have to be growing. You got to stay on your toes and be growing. How do you keep yourselves from straying into this error? By growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for Peter, nothing, nothing for Peter was more important than the growth and the maturity of the church of Jesus Christ. One of the last things that Jesus said to Peter in John chapter 21, verse 17, before he left, one of the last things Jesus told Peter was, feed my sheep. You think Peter ever forgot that, beloved? You think that ever left his heart, his mind, and conviction for one moment. The Lord Jesus Christ said, feed my sheep. Nothing was more important to Peter than that the church of Jesus Christ would be fed and growing. And that's why he said, right, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, He committed his life to this as newborn babes. Desire the sin-seal milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Because nothing was more important to Peter than the saints of Christ would be growing, growing, growing. The truth of the matter is this, beloved, that no one, no one stands still in this life of faith. You just don't stand still. You are either getting better or you're getting worse. You're either growing in your faith or you're losing ground. And Peter says, be growing. Be growing. 
That's the only way you're going to fight complacency is to be growing. The only way you're going to fight error is to be going, growing. The only way you're going to appreciate the promises of God is to be growing. But what is growing? Well, beloved, growing is knowing. Growing is knowing. You grow more in grace as you know more of Jesus. Growing is knowing. The more of Christ you know, the more faithfully you live for him. This was the Apostle Paul's desire, was it not? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, his greatest desire was that he would know Jesus. Everything else was dung to him. Everything else was worthless. He wanted to know Jesus, just to know him. And to know Jesus is to grow in your need of him. Listen to me when I say this. Those who know Christ best know their need of him most. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, which is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I know it sounds strange and even counterintuitive, but here's the truth. The weaker I am, the stronger Jesus is. That's counterintuitive. Because we don't want to be weak. We don't want to express weakness. We don't want to be shown to be weak. The fact of the matter is, those who know Christ best know their need of him most. And the weaker you are, the stronger Jesus is. The more I know myself to be a sinner, the more I grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And like Paul, beloved, in my own personal life, I have learned that the times in my life when I have grown the most is when I have known my own weaknesses the best. No one grows from self-help. I don't care how many books you read. You're not going to grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through self-help. You're not going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through self-reliance. You grow as you rely and trust on Christ more and more and more. You grow as you understand that no matter where you are or what you've done, the Lord won't let you down. He won't let you down. That's why he says. That's why he says in Matthew 11 and verse 28 and through 30, Come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Why? Because he won't let you down. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. 
for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Why? Because, beloved, he won't let you down. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. How do you know that? Because I know he won't let you down. Your weaknesses are no problem for his strength. Why? Because he won't let you down. Your sin is no problem for his grace. Why? Because he won't let you down. The Lord Jesus came once, and guess what? He's coming again. Why? Because, beloved, he won't let you down. That's why you don't stop believing. That's why you keep the faith. Because Jesus won't, he won't let you down. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop believing. 